0: This is Dana Publicover. I'm the founder of Tiny Pinata and the author of Empathy at Scale. And you are listening to Dallas Design Sprints with the old man himself, Mr. 5-0 Roberts Grobe.
1: Hello, everyone. This is the Dallas Design Sprints Podcast. This is the first podcast of the year that we're doing. And uh, we're doing it on my birthday. And really, I think the only way I could have ever gotten my guest onto a podcast like this is to actually have it on my 50th birthday, the first one of the year. So this actually is a big deal. Otherwise, I never would have gotten the time of day, I think, from Dana Public Over. She is the founder of Tiny Piñata. She's also the author of a new book that's out called Empathy at Scale, and I'm very happy to have her on the podcast. Dana, thank you for being here.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and happy birthday. <laughs>
1: well, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I, the, part, of the, part of the thing about having your birthday, especially at this age and in a modern age, is that I am inevitably going to have to go back into Facebook, particularly And go through the thirty people in my network from like way back when that are always wishing me happy birthday, so I can say thank you. Because the one thing you don't want to do is leave them hanging. But be that you're saying that
0: people loving you creates work for you. (laughs) That's what you're saying. (laughs) Well,
1: it also creates work if they hate me. So it could be like a dual-edged sword. It could be both ways. If they all say like, yeah, there you go, and say whatever they want to say, then I have to that too something
0: no. something old man something something yes
1: you can you can fill in the blanks because they're they're far-reaching in terms of their commentary so uh let's get into what you're all about and who you are in fact let's have you do a short introduction for those of you who don't know um anything about you or that are meeting you for the first time please give a, a short introduction about who you are what you're about and um what you're currently doing
0: sure I'm Dana Publicover. I recently published a book, self-published, by the way, uh, Empathy at Scale.
1: That's very admirable, by the way, and I'm, I'm actually planning on going that same route. But
0: It's very hard, Robert. It's very hard. <laughs> I had to learn things I had no idea I would ever do. I had to typeset this thing by myself in InDesign. Uh, yeah, in de- no, Illustrator, one of those. Uh, really, really hard. And just learning about how ISBNs work and digital rights management, things I don't care about.
1: So, so I, I, will defi- I will definitely take some of your time later on. and, <laughs> and uh, We could talk about it because I, I am serious. I'm, I was thinking about doing a book on virtual design sprinting.
0: Yes, um, do it.
1: And, and I've written some chapters already, but I know that every single person I talk to has, has gone down the road of writing a book has been like, it is a royal pain in the ass, but yes. it is something that once you're done, you can say like, okay, it's Finally, we we got it going and it's fantastic. So please continue.
0: I just had that moment of relief. um, I think Friday afternoon, where I was holding it in my hands, and I said, "Okay, now what? (laughs) What am I going to do with all this free time? All of a sudden, because it's like another job."
1: If if I may if I may suggest something, it seems that more more or less the book acts as a marketing tool. So part of it is uh, being able to leverage that in a way where it's a PR piece where it's like, okay, well, we're talking about empathy at scale and making people more aware of it to the point where it actually brings you into the room for speaking engagements or for podcasts like this um, and and getting your name out there so people understand what you're all about and what you represent.
0: That's the dream. That's what I'm hoping for. And hopefully people find my message compelling and they're able to connect with it. Uh, which I guess I didn't even answer your question about that. The message is about change makers, and change makers are the people that I refer to in the middle of an organization. They're not yet leaders, and maybe they don't want to be leaders, but they're, they're sitting there, they're at their jobs, they're the cubicle warriors. They have so much to do that it gets in the way of them doing the job they were brought in to do. So instead of creating this brilliant strategy you were supposed to come in and revolutionize the department with, you're stuck in meetings, you're stuck in tasks, and you're not free to do the work that you should be doing and the work you were meant to be doing. You know, these career-making, these game-changing projects that would really benefit both the company and, and your career personally. And I feel like the people in the middle, these changemakers, I call them changemakers because they have the greatest opportunity for change in an organization. It's not going to come from the top. It's not going to come from the leaders who are on their way out They're, um They've been there too long to take risks. And so director of marketing, marketing manager, um, HR manager, people in this, this middle segment here can affect real change organization-wide. They just need to realize they have that power to do that. And this is hopefully this impetus to change this manifesto for better work, helping people make those changes and, you know, starting small.
1: And in the book, you talk about um, some, you give recommendations at different intervals, but one of the the themes that that were, that was part of the book is by making actionable recommendations on how to make meetings uh, better, like how to make them more uh, meaningful. Do you want to go into that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I also want to go on the record and say that I'm not anti-meeting by any means. I know it's fun to hate meetings. We all hate them, but we, we need them and they do serve a really valuable purpose. So I'm not anti-meeting. However, I'm anti the state of meetings as they are currently. So I think we can make them better. And one of the ways that I think we can do that is by planning them better. Instead of sending out an invite to everybody you think should be involved and say, okay, next Thursday from two to three, because the default seems to be an hour always. Excuse me. So inviting all those people, getting them in a room, putting some vague topic in the invite, and then just talking in circles for an hour. That's not productive. I see meetings as a place for action. If you think about how much it costs To have all of those people in the room at the same time, all those salaries, all those numbers just clicking through, you know, you're wasting so much money and so much time, and you're not really getting anything done in that meeting. You leave the meeting with tasks to be done. I say instead, set a purpose for the meeting, set a goal, create an agenda, and send that out in advance. If people then read that, and say, you know what? I'm not sure I need to be a part of this meeting. Great. Don't come. That's fantastic. But I also don't think your meetings need to be an hour. So let's say here's a good example. Um your goal is to determine where to hold your annual meeting. That's a 15-minute meeting to me. That's not an hour. It's not a long meandering discussion. In advance of that 15-minute meeting, I would ask people to come up with an idea of where they think the annual meeting should be held and maybe like two or three sales points is why they think that should be the place. So in that 15-minute meeting, the first five minutes, and you start on time. This is very important. Meetings should start and end on time. All right. So in that first five minutes, you got five people in there. Each person gets a minute. Quick pitch round, one minute. Talk about where you think the annual meeting should be held and why. Use a timer. Keep it tight. After that, five minutes. You've got is that seven or eight minutes for discussion. Just you know, quick round robin. Let's talk about the benefits and cons of each location presented. Then you vote. You've reached a consensus. You end the meeting. That's fifteen minutes. No more needs to be said about it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a very actionable thing you can do. So the takeaways from that would be start and end on time. Have a purpose and a goal. Send it out with the agenda in advance. How many times are you typing up the agenda on your way into the meeting, right? Send it out in advance. Let people know what to expect. And let people decide whether they need to be there. So running meetings like this, maybe, um, maybe you'd run like five or six meetings this new way. You become known as the person who throws a good meeting. It doesn't waste people's time and you get shit done. Did I just get to your explicit rating?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. I was, I was, I was, I mean, we, we talked about this off, we talked about this off air, but I, there's, there's a, a missing chapter in empathy at scale where it, it basically showcases the opposite of empathy. And that thing is like, a, a torrent of cuss words and I know that didn't make the book probably because it would have been, uh, you know, it would have been something else, but I'm, I'm glad that <laughs> at least they there. We're peppering it in this podcast a little. So I think yeah, it's
0: okay. we are just sprinkling yes. it, you know, for adults only. This no. is a empathy for, after hours. For the
1: tweens out there that, that had <laughs> the to stumble on podcasts. We're in, we're in good shape, but no, yeah, they're listening not, still definitely not for two year olds that are still bumbling through life and yeah. figuring it out. So, in, in that example that you gave about basically making meetings more efficient and not wasting people's time, how does empathy kind of fit into that, that model? Like where does empathy kind of uh, equate to the actions that you were describing?
0: That's an excellent question. So the way that I see it, designing a meeting empathetically means considering the experience of everyone attending the meeting. This This can be displayed in ways like if you're having a meeting around 12 o'clock, anywhere from like really, let's say 11, 1130 to 130, you should provide food. If you can't provide food, have the meeting at a different time. People are scheduling meetings back to back. So if your meeting ends at 12, chances are they've got a one o'clock. People aren't blocking off their lunch hours. So just realizing empathetically that if someone is really hungry, they're not bringing their best self to their meeting. Think about how you would feel. Think about how you feel when you sit in a meeting and you just read slide after slide and they're being read to you. They could have sent you that slide deck. You could have consumed it on your own time and you wouldn't have been held hostage in that room. Things like temperature, um, flow, just thinking about the meeting as an experience itself. That's something that's, I mean, it's in our, in our circles, it's something that's talked about a lot, but externally. It's really not a factor. People don't consider the experience of the people attending
1: their meetings. And then just realize that people's time is so precious. I would spend 30 minutes in a meeting I didn't need to be in that
0: wasn't relevant to me. And that meant that I was getting 30 minutes behind more on my work that I had to do, which meant that's 30 minutes you've taken away from me with my kids after hours. Yep. Yeah.
1: So would you say, or would, would, based on your experience, if you deploy empathy and showcase that and use it with your interactions at work, do, do you find that it tends to be reciprocated?
0: That's a great question. I have no idea. I don't, I don't think I've tried it in the workplace where I could see it come back to me. What I have done is led people through empathetic research for their employees and the people on their team, Which and there's, there's a huge section on the book of how to do this research. Taking people through that research, understanding the, the needs and the motivations and the challenges of the people they work with. And the people who are experiencing these problems with them and trying to fix it for them in an effort to get better results. So better participation in a, in a human resources initiative, for instance, like greater benefit, <clears throat> benefits enrollment, um, better, better delivering information to salespeople so that they feel more informed. The reciprocation part, I'm not sure factors into it because I'm not sure employers are looking to have their employees reciprocate empathy to them. And maybe that's just because I have a a different view of the leadership dynamic with the people below, but I'm not sure that that's something I've considered up to this point.
1: So that was going to be my next question. What leadership roles do you think empathy uh, produces a a force multiplier or? makes their role more meaningful.
0: As in the leaders having empathy or empathy yes. for the leaders?
1: Like, uh, would it be more advantageous for someone who's native to empathy? Like that's not just part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it better for someone in like, say, marketing to have that trait or for someone who's a CEO to be able to leverage that? Um, what, in your opinion, is a, is a role that really could take somebody's native uh, Abilities to empathize with, with users and with other people and, and be able to deploy that in a, in a fashion that not only benefits other people, but the business as well.
0: I would say maybe someone in the operations, someone who's working on the day-to-day employee experience, people who are building internal programs. Such as maybe innovation accelerators, internal entrepreneurship programs. I know that's a buzzword we use a lot, but where you're asking something of employees above and beyond just their job, empathizing with that experience to help bring their participation, to help inspire them and motivate them to carry out some of the tenets of the company's own values in an effort to grow the business somebody you want to come up with this next revenue stream empathizing with how they might do that and how you might change their role or adjust their their day-to-day company experience in order to encourage that work from them and to get the best from them
1: what are some characteristics of a business or organization that is using uh, empathy at scale people
0: who have a reputation in recruiting for being somewhere everybody wants to be because they've accommodated this work-life balance. They're treating people like human beings. They're letting people spend time with their family. We hear horror stories of these uh, Silicon Valley giants, I won't name names, where they've built these restaurants on the grounds so that people's families can come have dinner with them. So they can get back to work after that pretty quickly and that's that's an accommodation they have made an accommodation and that is an empathetic contribution however i would say the employee and the employee's family probably would rather have them at home for dinner Mm -hmm. so when you're looking at even even looking at gender accommodations places where women feel like they're encouraged into positions of leadership and where Maternity leave isn't seen as a vacation where it's longer than six weeks. I know some people don't even get that. Things like that, I would say are representative of an empathetic company who really understands how to get the best out of their employees. You know, it's not just beanbag chairs and ping pong tables in a room that doesn't make you Pixar.
1: Got it. And, um, Let's, let's have some fun with uh, your own business, Tiny Pinata. If you, were to, if you uh, experienced a growth phase with your company and now you're 25 employees, my question to you would be is how would you deploy empathy at scale within Tiny Pinata in that situation?
0: That's a good question. I'm, uh, this is interesting. This is a conversation that's been coming up in one of my um, mastermind groups. I might be anti-scale, and I know that's maybe an unpopular opinion, but I'm I'm afraid that I would lose what I have if I were to scale beyond a certain point.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm right there with you because I yeah. prefer to be a company of one and I'm totally fine with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And did did you read Company of One?
1: Paul Jarvis's yeah. book, yep.
0: Yeah, I wondered about that. Um I mean that said, I as a person who tends to resist any kind of structure that I feel is imposed upon me. So I'm outing myself as a millennial and a rebel here. I would try to make sure that I brought people on board who also wanted to experience their work that way. And I would try really hard to manage my expectations. I know that I am probably one of the most difficult people to work with. I've had...
1: (laughs) Now wait a minute! (laughs) I know. Wait, stop! Hold on, halt! Now I have not seen anything on social on social because I'm big in social media. I haven't seen anything where it says I would never work for Dana Public Public over because of X. I've not seen that. So um, you'll I I will assume that's a uh, an unfounded opinion where in reality actually you're quite pleasant to work with. But keep going.
0: Every earn turn I've ever had is quit. (laughs) <laughs> within a couple weeks. Um, I've had a couple assistants here and there that didn't work out. Um, you know, my problem is that I hold people to the same standards I hold myself to. And that's not sustainable and it's not kind.
1: And it's not yeah, they It's they, it's, it's not their company.
0: It's not their company now. And I can't expect people to do that. So I think it's, um, yeah, I say this as a person who's currently contracting a publicist and a social media manager and things like that. And I'm starting to build these relationships. I'm trying to manage them empathetically. I'm trying to give my own advice to myself and try to structure those relationships and those duties and those expectations more realistically. But its I'm not saying I'm Anna Wintour, but probably close. I, I would not work for me.
1: I think it's a matter of being able to be aligned on outcomes, but knowing that circumstances beyond someone's control might change those outcomes. For example, um, I had somewhat of a similar mindset with the first official GVDS we did um, in terms of people participating. So this was during the free period where we weren't charging anything and someone had both their father die and their uncle die in like less than a week. And this person was still, can I, do you still want me to join? And I was like, no, absolutely not. You take care of your, what you need to do, get to India. I was literally being prescriptive saying, yeah. I, I don't want to hear from you for two, two months, I don't. That, that kind of thing is so, uh, it's, it's, it's so like leveling in terms of its impact to an individual typically that for me to be selfish in that regard would be irresponsible. And the same token, if someone just flat out doesn't correspond after like a a month or two and doesn't say anything or, or tell me that they're going to be a part of something that's okay too, because there's, there's a piece of the puzzle. I'm, I can't assume for the other person. So I will say that that point of view has been something, and I'm going to fall back on age a bit, it falls back to experience. And knowing that you just don't know people in terms of like what they're dealing with. Sure. And really, to your point about empathy at scale, you, I don't practice empathy. I'm not empathetic by nature. But I understand when someone's in a situation where they can't operate 100%. And I have to respect that. So if I can respect that situation and get out of my zone of like importance, I've learned that you tend to learn a lot more perspective that way, but that's only after going through the motions. So the instinct is to basically say like, well, goddammit, this is the deadline, I need to get it done. And some people operate from that and that's fine. But I just know that it has to be a little bit softer than that for you to really connect with people and uh, on uh, on an empathy scale or an empathy kind of fashion.
0: On the other side of the coin, you can't project your own desires and values on another person and make the assumption that perhaps you in that situation would not be able to work and bring your full self to work. And perhaps somebody else might want to throw themselves entirely into work so as not to deal with what's going on in their head. I mean, I, I am also not naturally empathetic and that's why I have such an obsession with it.
1: It's, uh, <laughs> it's true. Well, join the club um, because I'm right there with you. I, I'm... I, I, it's when I was doing full, when I was had 15 full-time employees and I was a manager, there was somebody that came to me that was just breaking down because they weren't getting the work they were done. And it, I, my instinct wasn't to give a hug or to say like, I know, dear, I know. It was more like, it's okay. No, no. We, it's like, and I, my instinct would be just to ask the question and ask for more data. It wouldn't be to like that.
0: Right. So you want information.
1: I, I'm looking to understand that the, the, the foundation or the, the, the origin of kind of where it comes but i'm i still want to listen. Yeah. I still want to cuz that's the whole the whole intent of the conversation. So i'm that's how i am too. It's
0: i don't think it's yeah. a bad
1: thing it's just the way i'm wired. So I'm
0: my default is troubleshooting mode, problem-solving mode, which <laughs> I've that's the kind of listener i am and i've learned through through therapy and through friendships and through marriage that that's not what some people need. Sometimes they just want to talk and they just want to be heard. And empathetically, you know, I I don't want to just talk and be heard. I want to work with somebody and solve my problems. And so I had to learn that not everyone feels like I feel. And Mm -hmm. there's I talk about this in the book, there's a zap of empathy it's that sudden realization of the other person's perspective and i'm fascinated by that zap by realizing you had the story wrong because you assumed it or you yeah. were you were telling your story for someone else and <clears throat> i think i think it's a really interesting experience when you have that realization of empathy or that realization of a lack of empathy
1: even yeah and being and being forgiving of yourself knowing that this is out of all the things that you could do wrong, it's like the transgressions of not being able to, to understand certain things about an individual at certain moments. They're blips in the radar. I think the only time that it tends to be a problem is if it's continual, where you you, you continually not recognize that a certain situation occurs. Then there needs to be a little bit of an audit of yourself and self-awareness. But it comes with time. Most people are, are because human beings are, are by nature very forgiving, it'll just come up like that. So...
0: It's knowing and choosing to do nothing about it that I think is the real problem. Knowing that your perspective is limited and choosing not to dig deeper into that and find the other perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you about Tiny Piñata. I know I touched upon it briefly. Um, I wanted to, to understand the nature of the business, why you'd set it up, um, what you're actively doing it for services and products with that company so people can get an idea of what kind of kinds of things you're interested in and what you provide for people.
0: Sure. Yeah. So my goal initially was just to run workshops and design sprints. And as I do those and as I'm running a workshop and I start to uncover a problem, maybe in a problem discovery workshop or challenge uncovering workshop, I start to come up with solutions myself. And... Yeah, I know. And I think really highly of myself. It's clear. So one of the things I've done is kind of accommodate for that participation. So instead of just facilitating this workshop as a neutral third party, I'm joining the team as something I've come to be known as a thought partner. Mm. Um, And I really, really like that phrase. And I'm hoping it doesn't become a disgusting buzzword in the next two to five years. But joining people as a literal partner in thought and helping them work through this together. So I'm, I'm on their team. I'm this, this supplemental limb to help them figure out this challenge, bringing in my fresh perspective, bringing in my different experiences. You know, I'm not entrenched in their company culture. I haven't drank their Kool-Aid yet. So I don't, I don't have the same limitations they do um, and the same barriers to thought that they do. So I'm able to help open this up and help them solve this problem. And because of that, I've started doing these longer-term strategy projects as well. So workshops and then these one-on-one, one-on-team, smaller organizational strategy projects.
1: So how do you showcase this thought leadership outside of contract work?
0: I don't know what you're asking me.
1: (laughs) That's okay. How do you, how do you, how does someone who is not talking to you like I am right now on a podcast or doesn't have you in a room with a team, how does someone offline figure out that you are this thought leader, that you are someone that is a perfect problem solver or is perfect for this situation?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And I, I hope you know, because I've been working on my own marketing strategy in the background, but it's, it's the cobbler's children have no shoes. We never work on our own things. We're always working on clients things. Up until now, so I've been tiny pinata since April 1st of 2019, um, mm-hmm. just a little under a year. Up until now, all of my business has been word of mouth.
1: And that, that will end.
0: Yes. No, it, it's coming to an end. <laughs> we're, we're nearing the limitations of my own contacts. And so because of that, I've been working a little bit on my own PR. This book obviously is a huge help to that. But figuring out how to share that message with people who don't know they need my help and don't know that something like that exists.
1: If people want to find out more (laughs) about you and what you're all about, um, where should they go online?
0: They can go to the Tiny Pinata website, which is tinypinata.com. Don't try to type the tilde. It won't work. Just a regular in. For my Spanish-speaking friends who know what the word tilde means, um, and would then say, would you say
1: tiny piñata" different in Spanish?
0: You know, I don't know. I don't speak Spanish.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm, I, do I? I'm just guessing. It's like, yeah,
0: piñata. Right. Oh, yeah. You just got canceled. I think
1: I did. Well, hey, <laughs> all of your Spanish. I'm, already, I'm already explicit, thanks to you. So I might as well be like <laughs> offensive at the same time. If I, so I can I'm leave good. any
0: podcast with that gift, that's, <laughs> that's what I bring. I just want people to know that's what I You just put explicit
1: tags on every podcast you have. you just like...
0: Limiting your listenership since
1: 2019. I feel blessed.
0: Yeah. Um, But yeah, you can find me there, tinypinata.com. And you can email me, Dana at tinypinata.com. I answer questions from people all the time. I love to... I mean, for a person who loves to solve problems, I love to give my own opinions, too. So <laughs> I absolutely will answer your question. Um, the socials, easy to find. There are two Dana Publicovers. There are two of them. One of them is the mayor of a town in Canada. That's not me.
1: And a complete fraud.
0: She, I think she was there first. I don't know. I married into the name.
1: Well, no. Uh, we, we can basically disparage her now because she's never going to reach out to us.
0: Well, she gets some of my email and apparently handles it poorly.
1: Oh, well then, yeah. screw so her.
0: Don't email her, <laughs> or do email her. Let's...
1: <laughs> yes, please tell her that Canada uh, needs a better representation <laughs> and uh, definitely a better last name than what she's <laughs> kind of putting out there. Yeah. Um, where can people find the book if they're interested in learning more about that?
0: On Amazon. It's in Kindle and paperback format. I would love some reviews.
1: As to right out now. Out um, yeah. In fact, when I was checking it out. And before, I didn't was... write
0: either of them, just FYI.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did not pay for those to actually... Did happen. not
0: pay for those. Yeah. No. You can buy them. They're expensive.
1: So, um, and you can also get it on Shopify and on your on your site, Tani Pinata, correct?
0: No, incorrect. Not anymore. That was just for pre-order.
1: Oh, well, now you missed the window for pre-order, then you have to go to Amazon, correct? It's
0: true. It's um, Amazon just disregards your your launch date and publishes it when they see fit so it's technically already published on Amazon it wasn't supposed to come out till February 10th so get it early
1: all right so Dana thank you very much for joining the podcast I really do appreciate it and I hope you are very successful with the book and I look forward to seeing more of your opinions and also your (laughs) perspective in 2020 this year
0: awesome thank you so much for having me I really appreciate this and thanks for telling people about my book
1: More than welcome. And I'll talk to you later.
0: Awesome. Bye.
1: Hey, podcast. Coming up in February, Dallas Design Sprints has got a lot of events you might be interested in. On Monday, February 3rd at noon, we're going to be exploring the circular economy with Team Alana from the Global Virtual Design Sprint. The very next day on Tuesday, February 4th at 10.30 in the morning, Central Time, we're going to be exploring virtual design sprint mastery on Tuesday, February 11th, the following week at 1030, we're going to be be looking at the Solopreneur Specialty System. If you want to find out more about these events and other ones that are coming up, check out the Facebook group called Virtual Design Sprint Events, or you can go to DallasDesignSprints.com and all that information should be up there shortly. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.